Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Business and Legal Q&A Live. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and today is June 9th. We've got a really good show. This is one of those shows you don't want to miss if you have ever or will ever represent yourself in court uh, or in any legal matter. Uh, This is a show that we're going to answer a question uh, that came in the other day about legal writing for non-lawyers, how to write effective correspondence and motions and that sort of thing for yourself on your behalf when you are representing yourself pro se in a legal matter. Now, this is a show that could go on and on and on. We're not going to be able to get through everything today, but uh, this question has inspired me to create a series of videos about pro se legal writing. So legal writing for the non-lawyer. Just, you know, for those of you who don't uh, who don't know or who haven't tuned into the other shows, pro se means representing yourself in court without a lawyer. So we're going to get to that today. I'm going to spend some time going through some of the various um, writings that you would do as a non-lawyer, letters, affidavits, motions, and then I'm going to give you some really good pointers and tips, and then we'll expand upon that in the new video series that I'll create to continue to answer this question because it's a really, really great question. So that's on today's show. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Sarah. Selsana, I'm so apologize.com. It's Sarah.Selsana.com. It's a tongue twister. Um, Selsana is a really outstanding, unbelievable cosmetic company that has created a line of product that is all natural, pure botanicals. Uh, it uses proprietary um, materials, proprietary um, herbs and uh, other biotechnological um, plants, uh, things that I don't even understand, that I, it's beyond me. These are formulated cosmetics by a doctor. They have been worked uh, in, in conjunction with experts at Texas A&M. So this is exotic rainforest plants and botanicals, things that, like I said, I go way over my head. I, I don't, can't even fathom this. This is science and beauty essentially coming together to create this new line of product for um, rejuvenation and for skin care. And it's gotten you know, tons and tons of, of positive reviews and feedback out there. And Sarah is your contact if you want more information about Celsana. Now, if you bear with me for one second, I'm just going to show you, for those of you who are watching on YouTube Live, um, a very quick look at the Celsana website. Let's see if we can bring that up because it's got a ton more information than I could ever hope to share um, right now. But if you take a look at the site, Celsana, you can see up in the left-hand corner, there's a link to Sarah. And if you click on that link, let's do that, you'll see her contact information, 573-897-4443, and her email address, sarahskinsolutions at gmail.com. And she can give you more information about Celsana. Obviously, you see their tagline from nature through science to your skin. And the website gives a better, more clear 
and more in-depth explanation about the products. There's also a product link here and other information. But this is a, a uh, revolutionary skin care product and system. And I encourage you to reach out to Sarah. Again, here's her contact information. All the links to Sarah and to Celsana are posted in the show notes, both on Blog Talk Radio and on YouTube Live. So um, we want to thank Sarah for sponsoring today's show. And again, I encourage you all to take a look at the website and then to contact her. Uh, her email again is Sarah, Sarah Skin Solutions at gmail.com. All the links are in the show notes. Her website is www.sarah.selsana.com. So check that out. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. And uh, apologize for my tongue-tied, tongue-twisting um, beginning to that, uh, to that sponsorship. Some, some, some days you have it and some days you don't. And this is one of those days I just don't have it. My, um, my little guy, my youngest guy, just had a preschool kind of graduation um, ceremony today. And we were up late rehearsing with him. And, and my other kids have their uh, last days of school. And so it's just been a whirlwind of activity. I've got a kid going into eighth grade. So I'm, I'm exhausted. So uh, if anything is not clear today, just bear with me. And just chalk it up to being a parent. For those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, let's get into today's show. So here's the question that I received, and it says, I'm representing myself in a contract dispute case, and the first motion I wrote was denied, and the other attorney basically made fun of it. Is there some special way to write a motion or other legal paper? This is uh, one of the, the best questions that I've been asked in recent time. Um, I think that the idea of representing yourself in court. Most people think trial, depositions, getting before a judge, telling my story, and the part that is overlooked most frequently is the writing, the legal writing. And I'll tell you that as an attorney, most of my time is spent writing documents. It's not the glamorous, glorious LA law uh, for those of you who remember L.A. law, that, that you see on TV. It is a lot of research and writing and uh, skilled strategic writing, making sure that every word seems to make sense, that there's a reason why you're saying something. And so it, there is a, a, uh, a skill to it. It's a learned skill. It's not something that you're born with. It's something that you develop over time. You're not really even taught this in law school. This is something that develops over time. Uh, you do get the basics in law school, but to hone this craft of legal writing, it takes time. Now, we don't have years and years to teach you how to be a legal writing expert. But in today's show, I'm going to go through some of the basics. And if you follow some of these basics, your legal writing is definitely going to improve. Okay, so let's talk for a second about legal writing in general. Why is it important? Well, let's look at how you initiate a lawsuit in the United States. And uh, for those of you who have been with me for a while, who have subscribed, you know that you've seen those videos I put out there. How do you start a lawsuit with the filing of a summons and complaint? What is that? 
It is your allegations against the other party in writing on a piece of paper. Okay? The lawsuit starts with writing. Now, the other side files an answer. What does that mean? They write their response to your complaint. Then you move into the discovery phase where you are writing discovery demands and you are writing responses. And then you may need to file a motion, which is a written argument. So we're like well into the case now and we've not seen a judge. We've not had an opportunity to go argue anything. What have we been doing? Writing. So in litigation, uh, and, and this expands into other areas too, obviously writing of wills and writing of contracts, and this is, is beyond just litigation, but let's stick with litigation model for a second. When you're litigating a case, when you're going to court to sue somebody, most of your time should be spent on writing. And here's the problem with most pro se litigants. And I hear this from colleagues and from judges. Most pro se litigants just believe that they can file a complaint and an opportunity to go before a judge, present their case, make an argument, and that's that. That works in small claims cases. And then sometimes, because you still need evidence. But that's more akin to the mindset if you're going to be representing yourself in some small claims court, some small municipal matter. But when you are representing yourself in a case of importance, okay, because you could have important cases in municipal court, or if you are in the lower court or the trial court, depending upon your state in New Jersey, it's the superior court is the trial court. In New York, the Supreme Court's the trial court. But wherever you are, you are above that lower level special uh, part where it's small claims or, or small municipal matter, you need to focus on writing. And that's one of the mistakes that most pro se litigants don't understand. That's one of the mistakes they make. They don't spend their time on the writing aspect of what they're doing. They're just thinking about what they're going to present to a judge. And what you present to a judge in litigation is ultimately what's on paper, because you argue something based upon all of this written material. Okay, that highlights the importance, hopefully, of legal writing. It is something that must be done and must be done right. Okay, now, let's talk about who reads what you write. Well, there's writings that you make to the other side, to your adversary, to your adversary's attorney, in the form of letters and demands and discovery requests. So that's one facet of legal writing. The next facet is what you write to the court. So on the one hand, it's what you write to your adversary. On the other hand, it's what you write to the court. Courts look at documents differently than your adversary. Let me explain. Okay, first of all, when you write a letter to your adversary or your adversary's attorney, you address the letter to Mr. Smith, who represents the defendant that you're suing. Mr. Smith, his secretary, or Mr. Smith himself, or somebody gets the letter to him, and he reads it, and then he responds to it, or he gives it to an associate attorney to respond to. The point here is that he has read it first. Now, in a court setting, most often, the judge does not receive the material first. The law clerk does. The law clerk reviews it, sees what it is, and then summarizes it oftentimes. 
Maybe write some memo. Maybe does some research about your argument and then presents it to the judge. You have to remember that most, most judges are overwhelmed by the caseloads that they have. And this is countrywide. They don't have the time to sit and read every single piece of paper on all these cases that they have. That's why they have a law clerk. The law clerk helps them conduct the legal research and scan and, and read and analyze some of the materials that come in. Ultimately, the judges do read the materials, but the initial reading is to a law clerk. And that's something you have to keep in mind because when you send something to the court, you have to remember who is going to be reading it. How many documents has that person read that day? How are you going to catch their attention enough so that they pay attention to your document? How are you going to present your argument in a way that makes the reader understand clearly what your point is? Well, I'm going to explain that. Let's first go back to group A, which is the writings to your adversary. If you're going to write a letter, you need to understand how lawyers think. Lawyers are not novelists. There are some great legal writers, and I've seen some really good motions with a lot of flowery language and innuendo, and it, it makes for entertaining reading. But I want to talk about effective writing. Lawyers are all about the facts, okay? They don't want to read a big introductory paragraph of flowery fluff language. We write in a, in a specific manner, okay? So, for example, let's say I'm writing a letter to a defendant that we are suing or, um, you know, somebody that we've not dealt with before. This is my first correspondence. I might start my letter off by saying, please be advised that this firm represents Mr. and Mrs. Smith in connection with the above-referenced matter. It's a, it's a, a very basic, non-flowery statement. This firm represents Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the above-referenced matter. And, of course, above that line, there's a reference line that indicates the name of the matter. Then I might write, let's say that I want to, um, to indicate that I serve discovery demands and that there have been no responses. I might make my next paragraph. As you know, we serve upon your office discovery demands, including a request for production of documents, a, a request to, or notice to admit, and interrogatories on June you know, 1st, 2015, period. To date, we have not received your response, period. Please provide your responses within the next 10 days or I will be forced to file a motion. That's it. That's, that's the letter. It, it didn't involve a lot of, you know, as you know, discovery is important and I can't defend or, or prosecute my case without getting the documents and I, sent the and I sent these requests to you and the court rules said that you have to comply with it by this time and you haven't done that. I mean, that's how somebody who is generally upset and frustrated because the legal process is completely frustrating. That's how you think. 
oh man, you know, I've served discovery on this guy. I'm representing myself. It's been three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. He hasn't responded. You know, I'm going to call him. Listen, I served these demands on you. Why haven't you written me back? You know, you have to comply with the court rules. That's what your, your mind thinks. But you can't translate that thought down onto paper because it's not effective. It's not an effective way to write. So you want to be clear and concise in writing to your adversary. State why you are writing to them. What is the purpose of your letter? Make it clear right from the beginning. You don't need a lot of adjectives. Adjectives in the law are something we stay away from. Because you don't want to say to somebody, you have a very, very good chance of winning your case. Why? Because now, you know, very, very, look at the conviction that I've, I, I've, I've said that with. And now you think you've got a very, very good chance. You might have a good chance, but I'm not going to say very. So adjectives generally don't have a place in legal writing. You want to be clear, concise and state the facts state why you're you're writing dear mr smith i'm writing to you because i have not received the settlement check in this matter period as you know the case was settled on may 15th comma 2015 um, you were required to provide the check by june 1st you know something like that brief state the facts Forget the adjectives and the flowery language. That's how you write a letter to your adversary. Now, some other tips. Don't, don't be angry in your writing. Don't use, um, you know, obvious, obviously profanity. Don't use anything profane in your letter. Don't insult. Don't, um, you know, insinuate something that's not true. Don't. Uh, abuse or make fun of or criticize the person that you're writing to. But let's assume for a minute that you are suing somebody who is also representing themselves pro se without an, without an attorney. And this person has stiffed you $5,000. And, you know, you don't want to write a letter to that person and say, you know, you scumbag, you know you stole this money from me. I want it back because that letter is going to at some point have the possibility of going before a judge. And you don't want a judge to see that. So everything needs to be very sterile, very matter-of-fact in a lawyerly way. State the facts, clear and concise, stay away from adjectives, stay away from emotion. Okay? That's how you write to an adversary. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how you write to the court. And this is going to essentially be focused around motions that you are going to send to the court. I'm not going to get into what a motion is today, um, but there are videos on the YouTube channel that explain what a motion is. Uh, so you can take a look at that. If, if I remember, I'll stick some links down in uh, the show notes so that you can find those videos. But... A motion essentially is a request that you are making in writing to the court for some type of relief. It could be to compel the other side to provide responses to discovery. It could be for summary judgment. It could be to dismiss the case. A whole host of reasons that you would file a motion. 
Okay, now, you're going to write to the court. Remember I told you that the law clerk is the one that's going to first see your papers. And there's a lot of superfluous paperwork, unnecessary paperwork that lawyers have to do. So if you're going to file a motion, you need to serve a notice of motion that says, on this date, we're going to request that the court hear us in connection with whatever. So that that notice of motion, it, it it's kind of unnecessary, but it's extremely necessary in the court size. So court procedure requires you to serve a notice of motion. That's what you've got to do. But the law clerk doesn't really need to do much with a notice of motion. Just scan it, and they pick the date, and they say, here's when this motion is returnable or going to be heard. But what the law clerk does do is read through the motion. And again, you don't want to provide all this flowery narrative. You don't want a big, fluffy writing. You want it to be clear and concise. You also want to make your motion grab the attention of the reader right from the beginning by making a clear, concise, factual statement or a statement that explains your position in a clear way. So, for example, let's assume I'm going to write a summary judgment motion and I am going to argue that the discovery has been completed and I've been sued uh, for negligence and I'm the defendant and I'm now going to file a motion for summary judgment and in the discovery process the plaintiff was not able to establish that I owed him a duty of care therefore if I don't owe him a duty of care in a negligence case I'm not negligent okay but that goes to the elements of negligence that's in another video all right, now, I want to file a motion for summary judgment to get out of the case, to win the case, because he is not met, the plaintiff's not met his burden of proving that I had a duty. So, I want to let this judge and uh, the law clerk know why I'm filing this motion for summary judgment, why I should be granted summary judgment. So, you may want to put a preliminary statement or an introductory sentence or two at the beginning of your motion. And you'd want to say something like this. Now, remember the facts. You're a defendant in a negligence case. The plaintiff has not been able to prove that you owed him a duty of care, and therefore there's no negligence. You are now filing summary judgment. Here's how I would phrase this. The defendant um, files this motion for summary judgment against the plaintiff on the grounds that the plaintiff, having completed discovery, has failed to establish um, the element uh, of the elements of negligence, and no questions of fact exist for consideration by a jury. Now. That was off the top of my head. I might phrase it a little bit differently. But what's the point of this? Why am I telling you to write it like this? Because law clerk's going to pick up that motion, oh, rip open the, the notice of motion, just look at the date, right, not important, starts to read the brief or maybe it's your certification. First thing that jumps out of this, this law clerk is, okay, 
Who's filing this? Uh, defendant, because it says defendant. Why are they, what are they filing? Summary judgment, says it right there. Why are they filing summary judgment? Oh, I see here, because they believe that the plaintiff has failed to establish the necessary elements of negligence, and there are no questions of fact to submit to a jury, which is the, um, the, 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 the basis for granting a motion for summary judgment. Uh, no questions of fact exist, because remember, a judge decides questions of law, a jury decides questions of fact. If there are no questions of fact that exist, then there's no case to submit to the jury. So that's how I would phrase that, because now I've alerted the clerk as to what I'm doing, why I'm filing this case. And, you know, I might myself include a preliminary statement that has a little bit extra that says things like, um, you know, plaintiff has failed to produce one iota of evidence to suggest that defendant owed a duty of care to plaintiff in connection with um, you know the uh, uh, the roof collapse. More uh, more specifically, uh, defendant does not own, operate, control, blah blah blah. Didn't inspect, install, whatever it might be, uh, the roof, and has no duty of care to the plaintiff. Owes no duty of care to the plaintiff. That might be my whole preliminary statement. And now in that statement, I've made that a very clear, concise statement about my position. Now I'm going to go on in my motion to explain that. I'm going to explain some of the facts, and if it's a very thorough brief, I'm going to include some case law that I'm going to cite. Um, but that's the attention getter, right? That's the one where the, the law clerk and the judge clearly understand what it is you're doing. Because if you write a motion that says something like, um, I wasn't negligent, and uh, I, I should the case should be dismissed, or the case should be dismissed because there's no case here, the, the clerk is going to be like, what? What are you talking about? And once you lose them, I mean, remember, they're reading hundreds of pages every day, maybe even thousands. Once you lose them on that opening statement, it's kind of like, oh, man, what is this person talking about? You know, the law clerk and the judge and attorneys, we're just people. We're people with a specific skill set that, that's been learned, but we're just people. And, you know, you look at something that um, that's really poorly written in your life. You know, maybe it's some letter that you receive from somebody or, uh, you know, some contract or something that just, you know, it's like so poorly written. You look at it and you're, you're like, oh, man. Because you're disgusted by it, right? You don't know what they're saying. You can't follow where it's going. And how much attention do you give to it? That's why it's so important to understand that your initial statement in your motion needs to be clear, concise, to the point, and explain what it is that you are doing. Who is doing it? Why are you doing it? What are you hoping for? If you follow that sort of um, overview that I gave you, that, that kind of... Um, general statement that you're going to make, you will have identified who you are, why you're filing it, why you believe it should be granted, and what you want in that first paragraph. Now, depending upon the type of motion you're writing, there are going to be other requirements. So, for example, let's stick with the summary judgment example. You need to include in a summary judgment motion a very clear and 
evidence or document supported statement of undisputed fact. That basically means that you're going to list for the court the facts that you believe are undisputed. So let's say that it is this, um, this case about the, the roof that collapsed and you have no duty of care to the plaintiff. You're going to say, you know, plaintiff owned property at 111 Grand Street. And then you're going to maybe cite to a complaint or a deposition transcript where the court can say, okay, that's an undisputed fact. They did own that property. Then maybe you're going to say um, they hired XY contractor to do work on the roof. Maybe that's in a deposition testimony. So you cite to that. You see these statements are clear and concise, not big narratives. Then you might want to say plaintiff sued defendant alleging that defendant had conducted some work on the roof and then cite to that. Then you're going to say defendant has nothing to do with this property, didn't do any work on the roof, wasn't involved in the construction, cite to that. So clear, concise statements of fact, right? It's not a narrative of fact. It's not a novel of fact. It's a statement of fact. So that's how you are going to want to lay that out. All right. Now, I want to talk about something that they do teach you in law school, and it is meant for brief writing when you have to write a legal brief, and it's called IRAC, Issue, Rule, Application, Conclusion. What does that mean? Well, when you are going to write a legal argument in a brief, you need to identify the issue, then you're going to want to hit the rule, then conclusion. So you're going to want to then conclude. So what I'm saying here is, let's say that the case is about negligence. So the issue, right? Well, let's stick with our roof case. Issue is that plaintiff contends that defendant uh, was negligent um, in connection with a roof collapse. That's the issue. You might want to move, you know, go further and you might want to say plaintiff has no involvement, blah, blah, blah. Um, didn't work for the construction company, something like that. That's the issue. Now you want to go to the rule. So now you need to identify the rule concerning negligence. What's the rule concerning negligence? You need to have a, a duty of care. You need to breach the duty of care. There needs to be damages. It needs to be approximately related. You're going to argue that there's no duty. You didn't have a duty because you were not working on that construction project. So you're going to want to cite the rule. You know, in your state, uh, in order to establish a cause of action for negligence, you need to prove A, B, C, and D, and then cite to the case. So issue, rule, now you want the application of that rule. You're going to put together the issue and the rule. So the rule says that you need to be, uh, you need to have a, a, an established or proven duty of care. In this case, I have no duty of care. I was not part of the construction team. I didn't work on the roof. I didn't have anything to do with it. So now you're tying it together. Issue, rule, application, where you're going to marry the rule and the issue together, and then your conclusion. Therefore, because I have no legal duty of care, I don't owe any duty of care to the plaintiff, there is no case against me. case should be dismissed, summary judgment granted, whatever you're going to say. But that's how you write an argument in a brief, IRAC. Issue, rule, application, conclusion. 
that just saved you thousands and thousands of dollars in law school legal writing for them to teach you the magical, mystical IRAC formula. If you stick to that in writing a brief, you'll be okay. That's the, the, the gist of what I want to get across in response to this question that was asked about legal writing. Because if we go any further, we're going to start branching off into specific issues. And I don't want to do that today. Um, like I said, we're going to put together a, a video uh, sort of series, and I will address legal writing for specific documents. But I don't want to do that and overwhelm you today. I think I've already given you a ton of information that might be relatively overwhelming as it is. So I don't want to give you more. But to summarize what we talked about today, when you write a legal document, clarity, be clear, concise, don't be verbose, just keep it concise. You know, you want to get your point across. You want to identify what it is you want or what it is you're writing for right up front. You also want to avoid obvious profanity and that sort of things, but adjectives very, very mad, very, very this, you know, or other adjectives. You know, I have a very strong something, something, something. So you want to avoid that. You want to avoid adjectives. You want to remember that lawyers look at the facts, the factual issues. You don't need a novel when you're writing to a lawyer. Be clear. Explain what you want. When you're writing to the court, remember that your motion or your document is going to be looked at by a law clerk and then a judge, and that law clerk might have seen a thousand pages that morning. And you need to identify right off the bat what it is that you want. What are you writing to the court for? Okay? That's very important. Then you want to make sure that if you're writing a brief, you follow the IRAC formula, issue, rule, application, conclusion. If you follow these general guidelines, general overview of, of legal writing, your legal writing will improve to the point where you're not going to have, as in the, the case of the, um, the person that asked this question today, you're not going to have the other side laughing at you. Sure, you're not going to know every case. You're not going to be able to cite everything the way a lawyer does. You might make mistakes, but it, you don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to be a lawyer when you're representing yourself pro se. You just have to follow the rules. And if you can write kind of like a lawyer, that's going to be a lot better than somebody who thinks they're writing like a lawyer but has no idea how. Does that make sense? That's what I want you to take away from this discussion today. Okay? I want you to think about the writings that you've done in the past on cases or to people that you might be in a legal dispute with and I want you to think back to how you drafted the letter. Did you follow any of these rules? You know, what was the feedback you received? What were the results you received on your letter? And I want you to think about changing your style when you're writing a legal document or a legal um, memo, letter, whatever it might be. You're not writing to Aunt Millie. You're not writing to a pen pal. You're writing for a specific purpose. And, you know, staying away from adjectives and being verbose, just hitting the facts, just getting your point across, that's what you want to do. Okay? So that's going to do it for today's show. I'm going to wrap up on that point. I do hope that 
this was uh, beneficial and I, that you took something away from this. Now, what I really want you guys to do is I want you to ask me questions about this topic so that I can start to address individual issues under this large gamut of uh, legal writing. So if you have specific issues, for example, I'm trying to write an affidavit, how would I do that? What's important here? What's important there? I want you to ask those questions so that I can address them on future episodes of Business and Legal Q&A Live, uh, but also so that I can add them to the video series so that you guys get answers. Because, you know, I, I, I'll tell you this. How many of you out there representing yourself pro se have called an attorney's office and asked for help on writing something? And, of course, you're representing yourself pro se, right? So you're not offering to pay the attorney. How many attorneys have offered to help you? Two, one, none. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that it's a very very low number of attorneys who take the time to give you some guidance and guidelines on how to write a legal document when you're not gonna pay them. Well, that's the point of understanding the law of radio. Okay, that's the point of UTLRadio.com. It's so that you have a resource to go to to learn how to do things. Learn how to analyze your case. Learn how to write a motion. Learn how to hire an attorney. Learn what makes a good case, so on and so forth. Because you're not going to get that information elsewhere. You're not going to be able to go to an attorney, call them up and say, I don't want to hire you, but can you help me? But that's what UTL Radio is all about. It's about, you know, I like to equate what we do here to that show that used to be on Fox, with the magician that, you know, um, sort of broke the magician's code and showed people on network television some of the secrets that some of the great magicians have had used. And that guy received, you know, death threats and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm not looking for death threats, by the way. But um, I do sort of equate what we do here at UCLA Radio to that magician's show because I want to sort of break down the sort of uh, enigma Right? What does this mean, this lawsuit, this motion, mystical wording and nonsense? Yes, attorneys are skilled. I went to school for a long time to become an attorney. I've been practicing for a long time. You know, and, and when a client wants to hire the firm, yes, we charge them. But that's not what UTO Radio is about. This is a different animal. This is a way for you who are representing yourselves pro se or just have general questions to learn about the law. It's our way of giving back to the community and to help people who can't afford or don't want to pay a lawyer. I get it. I understand how the economy is. I understand how things work. I understand how attorneys are and how consumers are. And that's what this is about. So please, please give me your feedback. Let me know what you think. Let me know what questions you have, um, whether it's this topic or anything else. And we will answer them for you and provide you with the resources that you need to be able to handle certain matters yourself or if you do need to hire an attorney, how to select the right one for you. So that's going to do it. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll get notified when live videos like the one that we're streaming right now are released. Also, when we do our Law Basics videos, um, you'll be up to date with everything. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you can download it and listen to it at your convenience. 
And remember that we stream live on Blog Talk Radio as well. I also want to uh, again thank today's sponsor. It's uh, Sarah at Celsana.com. Sarah from Celsana will help you get set with Celsana's product line of uh, very unique and very organic, healthy, um, you know, um, um, makeup cosmetic lines. And she's going to help you explain or understand how to nourish your skin, how to make use of a lot of this research that they've done with these botanicals and, uh, and get you looking the best that you can be with Celsana's product line. So check that out. Again, that is uh, sarah.celsana.com. All of her information is linked in the show notes. That's going to do it for me today. Don't forget, this Thursday, which is the 11th, we are back on live with Captain Lee from Bravo's hit show, Below Deck. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the show, last, I believe it was November, Captain Lee, talked to him about leadership and what it takes to be a captain, and uh, not just literally, but figuratively as well. We talked about his prior business where he owned restaurants with his wife, and we amassed a, a large number of questions. We are going to get Captain Lee to go through those questions and give answers. It's going to be a really great show. I'm very grateful for Captain Lee, who has um, you know, graciously given us his time yet again to be back on the show. We're going to get through any of those questions as we can. And I invite you to call in as well to speak with Captain Lee live. That number is 347-855-8831. The show will air this Thursday. That's June 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you tune into that. Links will be provided on Twitter and through social media. You can always, always find us at utlradio.com. So thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And remember that there's power in understanding the law. off. That's right. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.